Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be talking about the most mysterious people in the Bible. Mm, that's right. These are figures that you didn't hear about at Sunday school, witches and giants and kings that you've never heard of, and we're going to share them with you today. Let's grab our Bibles, open them up, and find out who these mysterious people are. forward to this episode guys i uh think i know one of the eight but you know i mean if you were in the bible you would definitely be the mysterious man yeah, i'm an international mysterious man <laughs> you mystery. are a man of mystery for sure <laughs> you know the bible has so many characters that everyone knows noah and joseph and moses and People that you've heard of a million times, but there's some people in the Bible, because the Bible's huge and it has all these amazing, <laughs> interesting, ancient accountings of so many f fine, minute details that very few people, unless they're biblical scholars or really avid readers mm -hmm. of Scripture, ever take any time to consider. Mm -hmm. But it's so fascinating. It, it is. It's, it's super fascinating. And to realize, like, before we even jump into this, every person within the Bible is, you know, mystery is attached to their their identity mm -hmm. because it's the mystery of of God truly communicating in the Bible through inspi this inspired text in the lives of people, men, women, children, even animals and, and all of creation. So mm -hmm. it's all stocked full of mystery, but the people that we're going to share with you today just capture, you know, the essence of mystery and wonder because these, these people are truly fascinating. That's right. So... The Bible is inspired scripture, but it's also a historical accounting of a lot of historical occurrences. So if you were to go and read, you know, cuneiform tablets or you were to read, you know, ancient Persian or Mongolian documents, you'd find all these mysterious and great stories that you're like, wow, this could be a movie. This is amazing, right? But there's figures like that in the Bible too. There's people that you've probably never heard of where once you hear about them, you're like, that is incredibly interesting detail. Now, one group did a study of the Bible, and they found that, according to their survey, 3,237 different individual people are named in the Bible. Dang. Now, that doesn't count the people who don't have names. There is 3,237 3, individual people named in the Bible. Now, what we're going to do is cover some of the most mysterious ones, because there's a lot of people like, you know... <clears throat> Well, I'm thinking like Hercules, right? Like you're you're talking about like you know these figures of legends of different cultures, but then you know you look at like Solomon, like right. you know Solomon's kind of like a Herculean yeah. figure. But we're not going to talk about we're not going to talk about that, Solomon, but because you know a lot. I yeah, mean, these are these are figures in the Bible that appear, and you can't really piece together uh, complete meaning. In That's some right. cases, you can find threads of meaning, and and at the end of the day, you know you look at it, and there's really no. There's really no demonstrable like effort of scriptural scholars to say this is the meaning behind it. Now, do you know what is not mysterious? Where to find more information about us? Now, before we get into it, why don't you crack that mystery and tell them where they can find all they would ever want to know about us? Write this down because you really don't want to forget this. 
CatholicTalkShow.com. What? Absolutely. Get out of here. On that website, you will find every type of mystery behind the men, behind the show. And you. Brian, do you believe that you're here? I believe it. You believe. You are a believer. (laughs) I want to believe. (laughs) And if you want to believe, go to the talk show website, CatholicTalkShow.com. There you'll see every way that you could listen in or view our content. We are on YouTube. And if you find yourself on YouTube right now, click the subscribe button, click the little bell. Do us a favor. And make sure that you don't miss any content that we produce. It won't be a mystery when we release new content. It'll just go right to you. There's nothing mysterious about it. And you are a mystery fan, right? So enter into the mystery with us of our faith because that's what we're all about. Really entering into the mystery of God's love for us. And we celebrate that each and every day of our life. And we're just so happy to celebrate that with you at this show. If we are on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And make sure that you follow us and share our content. And we really appreciate that when you do. And especially to our patrons, if you're considering becoming a financial supporter of the show, you will be a part of a family that supports this effort that we are truly grateful for. And we have specialized content and gear, swag, just for you from the Catholic Talk Show. So thank you to our patrons. And as we get started, you know, where do we so We got to start in the Old Testament. Of course. And, you know, for me as a priest, you know, when I was ordained, we have this beautiful hymn, you are a priest in the line of Melchizedek. You are a priest forever. And it, it's drawn from the sentiments of the Old Testament. It's drawn from, you know, the origins of the high priest, the, the priest king, Melchizedek, somebody whom I had have had such devotion to from my earliest days of discernment at Ave Maria University, one of our sponsors. In our chapel, we had an icon that was written of... Jesus Christ, the high priest, and on one side of the icon was St. John Vianney, who is the patron saint of diocesan priests, and then on the other side was actually Melchizedek with bread and wine. So I'm curious, is is Melchizedek one of these mysterious... People that you... Well, I think you peered behind the veil of mystery, <laughs> and you looked at the show notes for once, which, congratulations. <laughs> That's not a lot of a mystery. I, I won't just... even say Hercules, Hercules. I'm going to say Solomon, Solomon. Melchizedek, Melchizedek. Melchizedek, No, really, I think, in my mind, of all the major characters in the Bible who aren't, you know, your yeah. standard Sunday school, Melchizedek's the most interesting. Yeah. Melchizedek is the most mysterious, too. Just shows up. Well, so... <laughs> Out of nowhere. More or less, right? So Melchizedek, what's his story, right? So after Abraham, Abram, goes to make his covenant with God, he needs to go make this offering, Mm -hmm. right? He needs to make this offering. So it's in Genesis 14, and it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, which Salem's Jerusalem, so it's Mm -hmm. the king of Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Well, how's that possible? Because... Abraham's just now establishing the covenant. How is there any yeah, priesthood? I think the priesthood was established with Aaron, right? Right. Well, that's the Levitic priesthood. Yeah, that's yeah, the, the Levitical, Levitical priesthood. priesthood yeah. So, th- that, and that's the distinction that's big, of yeah. that's a big distinction of Jesus Christ yeah. in the line of Melchizedek as well. And what does that what does that mean? Yeah. And it continues, and he so then, and he blessed them and said, "Blessed be Abram to the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithe from all." So Melchizedek, and that's where the tenth. That, that's where that sense of, uh, you know, a ten percent tithe, a tenth of everything that Abraham uh, possessed, he gave to Melchizedek as an offering. 
So one of the things that's mysterious is, okay, well, how does he, how is he already a priesthood if there's not been a covenant? How is he already, number one, even worshiping God, knowing God, let alone right. being the high priest of God? And that's, Jerusalem's not even like, it's not even the settlement. And, of and this is why it's, it's is. not even Jerusalem yet. Yeah, it's right. just Salem. It's Salem, right. Yeah. And this is why he is one of those mysterious yeah. people in the Bible, because this is a, an incredible part of Genesis. But but how important he is mm-hmm. also to, you know, like you said, you know, you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek, mm-hmm. and he brought out bread and wine. Yeah. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, a lot of times your offerings are going to be a lamb or a dove or mm-hmm. flour or oil or a calf or a bull. He's bringing out bread and wine. That. That sounds like something. Does it sound like mm-hmm. anything to you? Have you ever heard the of that? Eucharist. <laughs> yeah, heard I, of that? And, and, and that's, you know, like this this kind of uh, foretaste, truly what I mean by foretaste, the foretaste of the Eucharistic sacrifice of Jesus Christ in the upper room is tied intimately to the very genesis of this type of an offering. Because what is, you know, the, the, the amount of crop or a bull or a dove or a goat or whatever it is that's, that's being offered, which would have been traditional traditional as an offering to God, this is just a very interesting uh, a tie to the Eucharist from the very beginning of the first book of the of the Bible. You know, and, and from that initial covenant, mm-hmm. right? And here's something that also makes Melchizedek even more interesting. He's only mentioned three times. He's mentioned in here in Genesis 14, in Psalm 110, I believe. I and don't have that in front of Hebrews. Hebrews. And Hebrews is really fascinating mm-hmm. what they yeah. say. It says, referring to Melchizedek, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Mm. You don't hear people talked about like that in the Bible besides Jesus Christ, right. you know? So he's without mother and father. He's has no beginning to his days nor end of his life. So was he an immortal? I mean, so because of that scripture, a lot of people conjecturing said, well, this was either... Um, Jesus Christ himself, like establishing that covenant with Abraham. Or they say that it is one of the archangels or maybe even St. Michael himself, right? There's just so much mystery around this character who is king, priest, sealer of the covenant, archetype of Jesus Christ, and the establisher of the most important order of Catholic priesthood. I don't know if that's not enough mystery for you guys. Go mm-hmm. listen to a different podcast. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. And, and, you think of you know the book of Genesis and the and the historicity of what the people of of that period of time were doing. They were very very nomadically driven people. But here you have a king, and then you have the dedication of land in in respect to Abraham. And it's Sab- the first time Jerusalem is mentioned. Yeah, first Salem. time Jerusalem yeah. is Salem, and then it's 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 all very it's it's worthy of meditation. Worthy of like really contemplating, you know, what is God establishing within Abraham and who is this person, Melchizedek? Because he obviously occupies a certain authority and and uh, domicile, mm-hmm. like a, a sense of established position in a territory where prior to that there was no yeah. specific domain. And why does the priesthood meander through the Levitical priesthood into the high priest, almost making a full circle? Yeah, to, to and it's Jesus like the return, right like where the promised land is. Yeah. Like, well, th- this this place where Abraham is, where Melchizedek is expressing that authority, 
is is clearly the place where where Moses led the children of Israel mm-hmm. back to. Mm-hmm. So it's all very the covenants, you know, throughout. It's just incredible to think of like what you were saying before, the covenant with bread and wine being offered by Melchizedek, now the covenant in his body and blood, like in Jesus's blood, the new yeah. covenant, it's a beautiful tie yeah. and it's inspiring. You know, a lot of times you'll hear people say that uh, Cain and Abel is an allegory for the, I guess, the changing of the nomadic lifestyle from where Cain wanted to sacrifice meat to God. But Abel wanted to sacrifice grains, things that were grown. Mm -hmm. And it shows maybe an allegory of the tension between when people became no longer hunter-gatherers and now became, um, you know, domesticators of crops. And there might be some validity to that. But I think if you look at Melchizedek, you can might even be able to see some undercurrents of some shared memory of the initial settling down and the initial worship of of Yahweh, right? You know, whether Yahweh was first known in media in, you know, Mediates, right, with Jethro's Moses, right, who said, oh, follow God, right? It might record maybe just a very early shared memory of the when people first started worshiping Yahweh. Mm-hmm. In any respect, incredibly mysterious Melchizedek, number one on the list with a bullet. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Now the rest of them Probably, and we don't know much about any of these, right, people? Yeah. But there's probably less exposition on the rest of them, so it's going to probably move a little quicker, mm-hmm. so let's try to keep up. Now, someone who probably couldn't keep up because he was a damn lumbering giant was King Og. The King of Bashan. That's right. <laughs> King Og. Now, number one, what a great name. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think of... Uh, but when you think of a giant, you think Og. Oh, King Og, right? <laughs> so King Og was considered to be the last of the uh, Rephaites. Mm-hmm. And the Rephaites were the ancient descendants of the Nephilim, which if you look the in... The big people. The big people. Mm-hmm. In Genesis, <laughs> where it says the sons of God created giants with the sons of man, right? Yeah, and if you if you don't know anything about the Nephilim, like, definitely check it out in the crazy, book of Genesis. Crazy, it's, stuff. it's wild, man. It's, it's incredible. Very, very wild. So King Og according to scripture, was the last of these giants. Now, if you look at uh, David and Goliath, mm-hmm. right? Goliath was a big dude, right? And he might have been a half-breed of Rephaites, right? But and according to, you know, if you look at it, he's probably about eight, nine feet tall. King Og, being a full-bred Rephaite, it says here in uh, Numbers, King Og of Bashan was the last si- survivor of the giant Rephaites. His bed was made of iron and was more than 13 feet long and six mm. feet wide. Mm. Um, so he was killed in battle when Moses was retaking or was taking the promised land. Uh, and that's, this all comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 21 and Deuteronomy. But um, Moses is taking on 13-foot giants, right? Mm-hmm. Descendants of half, potentially half angel, half people or some crazy business. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you think of Moses' hands being extended over the over these battles, you know, like... It, it, what what an act of God! Imagine the guy who slayed Og. Yeah, you know that's an act of Og. That is an act of Og. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what I just a- think of the Princess Bride. I just I, I think of uh, I think of uh, the Dread Pirate Rob, Roberts fighting Fezzik. You know, it's probably a very civil conversation. <laughs> Why do you wear a mask? Is it because you were all burnt up with acid or something? And Moses is just like got his arms out and killing out. <laughs> sure, something along those lines. 
Hogg was the last survivor, wasn't he? Of all the all the that's what it says. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. And and you think about um, you know facing facing giants in your own life. You, like they they write music about facing giants or slaying dragons. So, by the way, anytime we have a title of a book, when we're not recording, we more or less name the title of that book or anything after the final countdown. So that's that's if you've heard us do it, that's why we're doing it because the final countdown's awesome. But you know, like we all have we all have giants in our life that we have to overcome. Like you Howard. Know? Like Howard. I mean, he's a giant. He's got a giant beard. That's right. Um, but when you when you think of like the things that that we feel incapable of overcoming, you know, this is a great a great story. So many of us think of David and Goliath, but to realize like facing in battle somebody like that. Yeah. I mean, that's just impressive. So before David and Goliath, there was Moses and Og. That's right. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good segue talking about overcoming because we're going to get to Onan next. <laughs> okay? <laughs> we're not talking about Onan's seed. That's right. Well, we actually kind of are. So, <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. Now, Onan, mysterious person in the Bible, right? So Onan basically is famous. He's the second son of Judah. We know that. Right. And he's famous because of his <laughs> sexual activities. That's yes. right. That's right. That's, That's right. right. So <laughs> Onan's brother Ur was slain, right? And Judah said he had to basically fulfill his brother's duty by um, getting his brother's widow, Tamar, pregnant. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Because, okay, your brother's dead, you know. I wish you were Aragon, right? But you're not, so... So you now Tamar has to get pregnant, right? That's the you duty. Know how that happens? Yep. So Onan goes and has relations with Tamar, but does coitus interrupt us? Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the consummation was not yet. And it, traditionally, it said he spilled his seed on the ground. Yes, which we know was it essentially intentional. intentional was it, yeah. it was intentional. Okay. Yeah, he, he disobeyed yeah. Judah, his father. Right. Yep. The reason Onan's mysterious, he's not really mentioned in the Bible, but he has kind of a long um, <laughs> tradition around his name, and that's towards Onanism, which is spilling it's spilling your seed outside of the It's not fulfilling the conjugal act. Right. You yeah. know, where it's, there's it's, no consummation for a crass, of the conjugal act. It's pulling out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's Onanism. It's also ascribed to masturbation as well, right? Mm-hmm. It's yep. basically that without the natural end to it. So Onan was this one of the sons of Judah. And Judah's first son, Ur, was um, killed. And now Judah said, okay, Onan, you got to go get your brother's widow pregnant, Tamar. Tamar. And, Tamar? Tamar. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Tamar. Well, so he's like, okay, I mean, yeah, she's pretty. I guess I'll go do it. But he didn't follow through with the act, and it says that he spilled his seed on the ground since any child born would not be considered his heir, right? Mm-hmm. Because he was concerned about an heir, didn't want to have a kid that he had to right. you know, pay the bill on without actually getting the benefit from. So, so God said, okay, what you did is evil and killed him, right? He struck him down dead. Now, that's really— And, and this is where you know, like people ask all the time, uh, is masturbation a sin? Is you know right. um, is using contraceptive within within marriage, mm-hmm. you know uh, 
the pill, all these other types of things. And you just wonder where the scriptural basis is, you know, in the Old Testament, this, you know, and there's so many other references and it's not a show about that, but, right. you know, it's important to realize mm-hmm. that, that this ki- type of coitus interruptus, which, which this is essentially, is this is where it all comes from. And, yeah. and it does, it, it is, it is an act against God's design yeah. and what God envisions. The, right. And the Jewish views of this, um, you know, that, I mean, they consider the death penalty as well, you mm-hmm. know, through that, through that, um, Story. So, but what's interesting is is God striking him down for 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 not um, fulfilling his the command of his father Judah to mm-hmm. give an heir, or is he striking him down for spilling his seed? And that's been discussed a lot of times too. Or sure. maybe both, right? Maybe yeah. it's like kind of a double whammy. Like, look, you didn't do this and you did that. You're, you know, double whammy. Double whammy, right? <laughs> No whammies, no whammies. Stop. That's what he said during sex. It was, it was, not, it was not great. In now, your translation? That's, I think, in one of the, I think that's in the New Britain translation. I'm not sure. But what's interesting about this is that Tamar eventually does have children, right? Mm-hmm. And she has two children, Perez and Zira. Perez is one of the ancestors of Jesus, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So out of this whole mess... Sticky, messy situation. Jesus descends. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a good analogy for how, number one, you know, a lot of people have messed up family lives. It's like, well, you know, my mom had this kid and then then they were married and we got remarried. And, you know, not everyone has a a mother and a father. Mm -hmm. And even the ancestors of Jesus had some kind of messed up stuff going on there. So Look at Bathsheba. I mean there's, there's so there's of, so many a lot different of that lineage. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. It's human. And I, I think that is that is such an important point, Shield, to realize that God can take what is expressly and clearly evil or wrong and make good and direct it toward a good path. Mm-hmm. And and that's why the return to God is always just so important. That's why repentance is always so important. And I was just talking with uh, with somebody at a conference uh, just a, a week ago, and a priest said to said to him in confession at the conclusion of confession, and he was kind of living a very hedonistic life, and he said, "Come back to the sacrament of reconciliation." After he gave him a penance, he just said, "Come back," and he, he thought and prayed about it, and those words struck his heart so deeply that. He just continued to come back, and he's like, I could, I could do that. And thinking about the sacrament of reconciliation in that light, to always return by way of the mercy of God to come back to the path, you know, that's how God is going to make us truly fruitful and, and fulfill the plan and the I mean, design. You look at the Bible, and all you see is human failings, yeah. and then you see the metanoia of turning back to God. Mm-hmm. Back and forth, back and forth. It's just almost like a vibration of the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, where you just see that constantly. And a lot of people think, you know, this righteous Christian, you know, person, and it's just, it's not even close to being true. Mm-mm. Like Jesus descended from all of these people, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that's a good point. Now, another person Jesus descended from was David, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the most important stories in the story of David was Saul who was the king before David. Now, that's not the interesting or obscure character we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the Witch of Endor. Mm. Now, the Witch of Endor, that's just, number one, what a mysterious-sounding name. Um, 
Sounds like something Tolkien would make up. Well, it sounds like something from Star Wars. I think Endor is where the Ewoks are from, right? <laughs> the Ewoks. The Ewoks, right? We're going to have to reference Howard on this one. No, it's the moon of Endor. I know this. Yeah, he shook, he shook his head, Thanks, yes. Howard. Thanks for the confirmation. Uh, <laughs> there there he is. Yep. People also ask why we have this one. Well, this is the Gorton's Fisherman, and that's Howard. And so. big shout-out to Rich Commando, who gave us as a gift yeah. uh, to the show. So the Witch of Endor was basically a... Uh, medium, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so Saul is going into this battle and he's not satisfied without knowing the answer of whether or not he's going to win, right? In the ancient world, you always had kings doing this, whether it was the Greeks and the Persians, you know, using chicken bones or going to uh, Delphi or consulting the moon or looking at animal stomachs, whatever it was. Commanders would always be looking for some kind of Guidance from the supernatural is whether or not it was a good time to attack. Mm -hmm. And Saul, obviously, was no different. So he rides out to the Witch of Endor. Uh, and this is in the first book of Samuel to consult with um, the prophet Samuel. Mm -hmm. Basically, the Witch of Endor is trying to channel Samuel so that Saul can get the wisdom of Samuel mm -hmm. to know if he should go into this fight or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's motivated by absolute terror and fear on Saul's part, you know, because he knows that he's he's looking at through his limitation, you know, is this is this something that's ultimately going to lead to my destruction and my demise? Mm -hmm. And, you know, in that form of desperation, every human being makes a, a, a mistake, mm -hmm. you know, and and it's a it's a fascinating account of turning to a witch which is still happening today mm -hmm. uh, for this type of, of intervention and guidance. Yeah, and it's a very common, um, you know, practice. I mean, out, even outside of which, but just using all these different mm -hmm. sp new age spiritual, um, you know, uh, portals, if you will, mm -hmm. you know, to, to access things. And what is it about? You know, it's like psychics. It's like, you know, the, the fear of the unknown. And, and the desire for somebody to know it, you know? Mm -hmm. So did the witch of Endor actually conjure the prophet Samuel? Maybe, maybe not. So some of the problem is, well, if, if the witch of Endor has the kind of power to bring a prophet from the dead to speak, well, that opens up all kinds of possibilities. But also maybe God permitted it in this instance to really, number one, seal the deal with Saul because... Um, Saul loses the battle and he is mortally wounded by the Philistines the next day and he dies, yep. which really, I mean, that opens up the kingship of the people of God to David. Mm -hmm. You know, then that is the, the throne of David that descends down to Jesus Christ. So mm -hmm. again, a really interesting, weird little detail in the Bible you probably yeah. haven't read or thought too mm -hmm. much I mean, of. Because there's not a lot of witches in the Bible. Any at all, as I mean, far as like I can tell, sorcery. Well, mean, it, it, it captures it captures witches and sorcery, yeah. sorceries, mediums, and all sorts of things. So, not like in in relation to to a person in the Bible, like this is one reference, but within the the context of of uh, turning toward these types of people in their time, all over the place, without a doubt, yeah. um, and even in our even in our own time, like yeah, you know, sorcery, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, how many times you hear people calling up psychics and, and you know, yeah. just because they're in a in a rough spot and a, and a crossroad, uh, yeah. you know, to make a, a, an important decision. So 
to our next person on our list of mysterious biblical figures. People have been fighting over ownership of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem mm-hmm. for millennia, right? Most Whether, important terrain and, 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 and location in the world. Right. Whether it's the Muslims with mm-hmm. the Alaska Mosque, whether it's the Jews with the Temple of Solomon, whether it's the Christians and the Temp- Mounts Templar, whether it or Temp- Templar Temple. Knights, yeah. uh, the Romans had a temple there. I mean, it is the most important little piece of ground in the entire world. Yep, it is. Um, you know, tradition say that's where God started creation from. That's the site where the Ark of the Covenant rests. So who owned it before King David established his, um, you know, the city of David there and established the Temple of David there, the Temple mm-hmm. of Solomon? Well, interestingly enough, the Bible tells us exactly who. Mm-hmm. His name is Arana. That's right. That's right. And it's easy to kind of glaze over the fact because it's, you know, David is just such a big figure. And, you know, we're talking about all in the context of big figures like Saul, David, Goliath, Moses. And you can kind of you can miss, you know, David and Goliath, like we were talking about before. But, you know, Moses and Og, like you can kind of miss Og, you know, in in certain. It's kind of hard to miss a 13 foot tall dude. But But in in reality, like you would have never missed him. Right. You know, And, and it's the same thing with with, you know, this situation. Who who owns this most important territory in the entire world? This this parcel of land, you know, it's kind of an important piece yeah. to consider who this person is in, in line of David and and the temple. Well, all these mysterious people have had very pivotal roles in the scripture, and, right? And that's why I mean, because there's a lot of you know nameless people or sure. people who are inconsequential who are named, but these yeah. are mysterious. So yeah. the Temple Mount before. You know, it was in Salem, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't Jerusalem then, it was Salem. And it was the, a threshing floor. Now, I don't know if you guys know what a threshing floor is. So when you harvest wheat, the way to separate the chaff from the wheat is you take a pitchfork, right? You stick it in and you just throw it up in the air. And yeah. the wind will blow away the chaff and all the good stuff will fall down. And then you have a threshing floor is where you do that. And that's where you're separating the good from the bad. Which number one, I think, is an amazing analogy yeah, for yeah, why yeah, the temple metaphor. of God is there, and we, right. mm-hmm. there's the parable of the wheat mm-hmm. and chaff and all that. But so basically, the city of David and the Temple Mount was being used as a place to separate wheat. Mm-hmm. Really, really cool. So prophetic, uh, very prophetic. Mm-hmm. So it, it tells in the Bible that David, um, there was a plague in the in the country, and the angel of God was going by and just smiting and killing everybody. Right. But then God commanded the angel to stop, and the angel stopped at this threshing floor, right? Mm. And then God said, where this angel stopped is where I want you to build this temple. Mm-hmm. So David goes to uh, goes to this Jebusite king. The Jebusites mm-hmm. were basically the, you know, like a, a tribe who lived in the area at the time. And he goes to this king and says, I want to purchase this land from you, whatever it takes. I'll give you anything you want, right? It's a thrashing floor. God doesn't really, God doesn't really care too much. He's like, I'll just right. give it to you, right? I'm going to be a good stand-up God. God commands it. But David insists on paying the full price of 600 uh, gold coins or whatever. Um, which is number one. I think also really interesting that this is the only time in history where the Temple Mount changes hands without any contention. Mm-hmm. It was just like, look, I, I'll give mm-hmm. it to you. And he's like, no, let me pay. No, no, just take it. No, it's like you guys fighting over the bill at dinner, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And, you know what's interesting, though? I, you know, I was just having a conversation with a, a good Jewish friend, a neighbor, actually. And, um, 
you know, we're looking at doing projects at the church. We're building out our campus and all that. And uh, there's a there's a, a company that I was like, you know, I was very impressed with their work, uh, landscaping work. And um, I had him speak on on my behalf, like, you know, to, to see if he would, uh, you know, is he open to, to sitting down and having a conversation? And apparently, like, he, he did a couple of jobs on the West Coast of Florida for churches. And, you know, like, his experience of that was they were always looking for something for free. Churches were always looking for something for free. Wow. And you, you know what you pay for. That's why I've had so much bad stuff from churches. Well, that's the point, right? And and I just I just said to him in response, I'm like, you know, Bernie, like, please tell tell the guy, like, I, I pay for the work that that yeah. we do. Like, you know, a just man's labor is due a just wage. And, you know, I I like this sense of, you know, there there's a there's a justice to what David is doing in respect to the land. And as opposed to violently overtaking it or 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 stripping it from him, which he which he could have, and which has been going on now ever since, ever since, right? Yeah. But this is this is a beautiful way to look at what God did in the life of David as it relates to right. the ownership of this land and how to properly pay for not, it. Not to be confused with a donation, right? Not yeah, to be confused very with, different. with the opposite, approaching the other and saying, "Hey, I would like to give this to you." Yeah. It's you know, it's you know, I mean, you know, he wanted to freely give it. David insisted on paying for it because it's just. But you know, there's a lot of things that can't be gotten for free that are great, and one of them is our sponsor, which is Hollow. <laughs> That's right. That's right? a perfect segue. And if you go to our website, CatholicTalkShow.com forward slash Hollow, you'll see a free offering. It's free. It's free. Look, you could try to pay them to start. They won't even take your money to start. No, so just start. No, they'll take it later, but just not to start. Okay. Just get started and check out the materials on this app. It is truly inspiring. Yeah. So you know what? It's even more like this. Hollow wants to give it to you for free. Yeah. But you're going to like it so much, you're going to insist on paying after the free trial. <laughs> and it's going to be right and just that you do it because it is a great, it's number one Catholic app. Yeah, and they're putting in so much labor to update and, and continue to upload so much content from the beautiful history and tradition of the Catholic faith in relationship to prayer and meditation, from app, you know, from, from offerings like Father Mike Schmidt's Bible in a Year to, you know, beautiful meditations and preparation for sleep and rest mm-hmm. and journaling efforts. I mean, delicate chants. Chant. They, they, they got so it all. Much. They got it all. If you have problems sleeping, you can yeah. go to, you know, just play something, have, have a Bible story read to you by Jonathan Rumi, the Jesus guy. And the I mean, what a time to be alive. Look, I can't yeah. sleep, Jonathan Rumi. Come read me a bedtime yeah. story. <laughs> what a great time to I be mean, alive. <laughs> everyone's all sad. Like, come on, man. Things are great. And yeah. it's free. For yeah. free. Like, yeah. I mean, what would it normally cost Jonathan Rumi to come to your house and read you a bedtime story? <laughs> you I, don't, to... I don't want to know Jonathan's business. $5,000? Maybe. <laughs> You're like, yeah, maybe. I but mean, this is free. Just the flight. Just the flight. Just the flight. Uh, Dude lives in California. It. It's worth it. Free. <laughs> It's yeah. free. Just that alone makes it worth it. You'll be like King David when the free trial's over. That's right. <laughs> you're going to be threshing, you know, wheat, and you're going to throw up all the wheat, and, you know, your phone's going to land, and Hollow's going to be on you. Like, this is the good stuff to keep. Right? <laughs> so go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash hollow to try it free now, and just like King David after the trial, you're going to want to pay for it because it's that good. Yep. That's right. And it's just the labor it's that they're just, doing is inspiring. It is. That's right. Now, do you know what else is mysterious? What's that? Your future, Hmm. right? What are you going to be when you grow up? A lot of kids are thinking, well, what am I going to be when I grow up? And what they're really doing is they're thinking, well, what job am I going to have? But your future is more than that. Your future is 
what vocation will you have? Mm -hmm. And Father Rich, I know that you found your vocation at our other sponsor, Ave Maria University. You know, realizing that a vocation comes from God, you know, vocare, God calls out to us. And to be in an environment like Ave Maria University, they provided a beautiful community and great, you know, spiritual directors and mentors and academic professors that really supported my vocation Mm -hmm. and helped me to listen very attentively to it. The university, if you're curious to find out more, go to Ave Maria. Dot edu, and there you'll see over 40 or so undergrad degrees. Yeah, it's not degrees. just where you're going to find... A vocation doesn't mean, well, you're going to wear a collar and you know not be married like Father Rich. I mean, a vocation could mean that you're studying marine biology, or you're getting a business degree, or you're studying nursing, or you're studying ancient languages or education. I mean... And you realize the passion of right. your of your character and the, and the gifts that God has given you, and how to plant those in the world and the society and really make a change. And, and, and Ave Marie is great at instilling that and helping young people find out what their vocation is and understanding that their job is a vocation, their mm-hmm. career, their life is mm-hmm. a calling. Ave Marie mm-hmm. is fantastic. At it, and it doesn't hurt that you get to do it you know, in beautiful Southern Florida, right? I, I mean, if you yeah, could, like 20 minutes from the beach and the right. Gulf, you're 20 minutes from the Everglades, probably even closer. I mean, it's just, it's Look, a beautiful you can area. discern your vocation in the beautiful gray f- foothills of Southern Ohio. You know who I'm talking about. Or you can go to Florida where it's beautiful and sunny and there's palm trees. I mean, all things considered, <laughs> I know where I'd go, right? And the whole, the whole You're area. You're going to the, get a tan. That's the, <laughs> no, I'm going to get a vocation discernment uh, okay. by people who are excellent at it, who also have 40 amazing different majors to choose from. Plus, they have an amuse, amazing campus. They have great campus beautiful life. Beautiful church. They have no. a beautiful church. They have a 24-hour adoration chapel. They have all kinds of online resources, and it's an affordable University education. They have a they have an arts building. You know they have a marching band. They have all of the athletics that you could imagine. Intramural sports. The the most popular <laughs> intramural activity this past was bowling. Actually, they went nice. they would go. They had really? like this big bowling uh, effort. They've got rugby. They've got an impressive rugby team. Sand b- volleyball. They were rated I think in the top five in the country. Um, so I mean they're they're doing well athletically, spiritually across the board. They're doing tremendous things. And the whole university is built in a town that's centered around the beautiful church of Ave Maria. And Ave Maria, I mean, that's the the angelic salutation to Our Lady. Hail Mary. And that was her saying yes. I mean, that's the same spirit of Ave Maria University. Now, um, Ave Maria University, go to AveMaria.edu. Check it out. If you are discerning college yourself or your children are, you don't need to go to the Witch of Endor to figure out where to go. They have people who help you out and figure out if Ave Maria is right for you. So don't ride off to Endor, talk with witches. Just go to AveMaria.edu, a much better situation. All right? That's our sponsors, and they're awesome, and I'm proud of them. I'm super proud of them. Most people have sponsors, and they feel bad that they have to shill stuff just to keep their show going. Yeah. I would, you know what? I would do this for free. And now I'm not doing it for free because they demand paying us like David. Like justice. David. It's justice, justice, right? Justice. Texas uh, justice. Texas justice. Texas justice. <laughs> so, Father Rich, you're not as young as you used to be. Delacrosse, you're getting Looking pretty old. Good, huh? But I'm certainly not as old as I'm, Methuselah. I'm, I'm in between the, three, the two of you. So I'm the middle child here. You're an old man, River, and you're a puppy, but you're getting pretty old, man. But none of us are Methuselah. No way. My grandmother used to always say that. I feel as old as Methuselah. 
Yeah. My grandma said that too. <laughs> really? I don't, I don't think people say that enough. Anymore. No, they don't. Because everyone's anymore. afraid to be old now. Yeah. There's a art. There's a lot of people that have Methuselah like stained glass art in churches. I've seen those before. Oh wow. And it's like, how do you paint a guy that's 967? You know. <laughs> Where do you begin with the wrinkles? Right. <laughs> Forehead. He's just, he's just one big wrinkle. Is there like at that a point? baggy, yeah. like a baggy arm, or like. <laughs> I imagine Methuselah looking like Keith Richards a bit. <laughs> And, and Keith Richards looks like a catcher's mitt you left out on the rain, right? Dude, that's brutal, man. I love Keith, right? Keith's the man, but... He, he just didn't age very well. Uh, yeah. Or did okay. he age great? Is he actually 937? <laughs> I want to see what you look like when you're 937. Yeah. Well, I'm looking currently at a stained glass window of Methuselah from the southwest transept of Canterbury and Cathedral in Kent, England. Wow, that was a lot of C's. That, that was, was a, a lot of very, Thank you. I got through all of that. That was great alliteration. He doesn't... He, does, he looks very tan, but he does kind of look like a catcher's mitt, Maybe I suppose. Maybe he went to well, Ave Maria. <laughs> <laughs> look, you spent 930 years in the Judean desert, you're going to look like a raisin. <laughs> I'm sorry. And that's what he looks like. I mean, right? Unless you have like SPF 5000, right? And I don't think they had that back then. The mystery of what Methuselah's face looked like. Catcher's mitt? Keith Richards. Keith Richards. So anyway, Methuselah, if you haven't gathered, is the oldest person recorded in the Bible, having lived to 937. Now, in antediluvian times, this is before the flood. 937 or 969? 969, nice. 969. All right. Yeah. Well, then there you go. 969 years old. Do you know what? That's older than 937. <laughs> He's even more crazy and more mysterious than I had thought. Than <laughs> I oh first thought. God. He's much older. And he's the father of Lamech, too. Yes. Which, I mean, he was only like 500 mm-hmm. years old when he, he started to have kids. He's a late bloomer, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think the oldest tree in the world, or maybe the oldest tree in like the California redwoods, is named Methuselah. It's the oh, oldest. Cool. oldest Oldest organism in the world, yeah. It's a five thousand year old bristlecone pine in California. Really, in the world, yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, Methuselah is a great name for that. Mm-hmm. Whoever, yeah. whoever was on the naming committee that day at the Park Service, freaking nailed it. Yeah, right. Four thousand eight hundred fifty-one <laughs> years old. Can you believe it? I, psh, if I could believe that, I could believe Methuselah. Right. <laughs> well, well nine sixty-nine, man. In this, in this image, of, and, and please put this in the show notes, but uh, Bartolome Bermejo uh, painting, it's, a four, it's in the 15th century, Christ leading the patriarchs to paradise, the heroine of hell, which we've talked about in other shows. Methuselah is portrayed as leading the procession and the righteous behind Jesus along with Solomon. And yes, he's got a lot of back hair that's very, very gray. <laughs> And he's naked, and he's definitely looking wow. saggy. Yeah, so, and that's a that's a tan that's that, hundreds of years <laughs> in the making. <laughs> that is definitely a, a hundred year tan. Yes. So you're you're gonna want to look at that image too and see what I'm talking about. <laughs> throw that up for everybody. Yeah, we need to throw that up <laughs> on our on our yeah, uh, Facebook gonna, and yeah. Instagram. <laughs> I mean, I, I would do it on our YouTube. It's so yeah, yeah we, we that's worth it. There. Actually, that's yeah. worth it. So. Methuselah, old, old, old guy, right? Mm-hmm. But he wasn't always old. He was once a young, sprite man. He was once born. He was once a baby. Yeah, he was. I mean, that's what kind of happens, right? That's but his biology. name wasn't Methuselah. Then, no, it was. was. It? <laughs> and <laughs> he was a handsome mute. <laughs> so Methuselah just, you know, he didn't just drop out of the ground, right? Right? He wasn't Onan's kid. So... <laughs> <laughs> 
His father was Enoch. Now, Enoch is also on our list of the most mysterious he's gotta people. He's got to be one of the... He's Enoch, the first to assume into heaven. Enoch's fascinating, man. Very fascinating. Yeah. And all joking aside, Enoch really seems to be a very particular, very peculiar, very special, mm-hmm. holy instance of human beings, and there's just not a lot known about him. No. And so Enoch comes from the genealogy in Genesis 5, right? And it's and that's the genealogy between Adam and Noah. And it's just a very quick reference, and it's uh, Genesis 5.21. When Enoch had lived 665 years, he became the father of Methuselah. So he started pretty mm-hmm. young, 65 years old. I wouldn't want to have kept that old. Enoch walked with God after the birth of Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him. And he was assumed. Just he was walk. He walked yeah. with God and then was no more. Mm-hmm. Doesn't list his why. death. Because mm-hmm. everyone else in this gene- genealogy, they say he died, died at this age. Yep. But no, he walked with God and mm-hmm. then was no more because God took him. Yeah, and you think Enoch, you think Elijah, you think yeah. you think uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Assumption. Yeah. You know, you think of these occasions where it's three, three yeah, times, three times in the in the Bible. So, and, and think there's, there's a lot more information about the latter, right? I mean, than than Enoch. I mean, you just don't have much. You think the Trinity know. says, "Look, we each get one." You know, one assumption. We each take one. <laughs> there you go. And then, you know, Jesus obviously took, you know, I, his, his sh- mom. Right. I'm sure the father took Enoch. You got to take care of mama. Like, and then the, the spirit taking Elijah makes perfect sense right. because Elijah fire. was fire. Bringing I, down love, lightning. I love this. This that's is great. That's, that's, good that's my personal here theory. first on the Catholic talk yeah, show. Yeah, that's incredible. Now, when they're doing our canonization cause in 100 years, they look back <laughs> at this episode like, these three do not make it because that is straight heresy. <laughs> <laughs> if that's the case, I repent. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is this is academic conjecture. I'm not saying this in any sort of teaching authority, which is actually you're allowed to do. So you know, speaking of genealogy, emphasis on good genes, Ryan. Good genes. Good genes. Great genes. Larry Landy. Great genes. Enoch, Enoch lived to 365. Yeah. So I mean, it had to start somewhere. So he had a guy with some strength. Well, to him. Enoch could have lived to a thousand. He could have been older than Methuselah. But he's, God's like, look, I'm it's plucking this one. This one's ripe yeah. right now. I don't need to wait till he's a thousand year old raisin knob with a hairy back. Throw the, cue the picture again. Cue the, please. Please. Can we oh. get an extreme close up on the back hair? Yes. <laughs> old Methuselah. Methuselah. Methuselah, you you old hairy friend of ours. Well, well I mean, that's where Methuselah very, got his his you know age ability and capacity is well, to have his three hundred sixty five. Exactly. Well, Methuselah is like he is like Good a tree. Genes, like, if you cut down that tree, if you, 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 you can look at its hair. rings, right? Yeah. Now, if you look at Methuselah's back and you count the back here, so you have one for each year of his life. That was his aging mechanism. No, it's the Methuselah. length of the hair. If you add it all up, well, 967 inches of hair. <laughs> just wrapped it's, it all, yeah, it's all just one hair coming out of his, his It's spine. a comb over on his looks back. Like, looks like <laughs> it's woven into a, a very delicate tapestry. <laughs> That wasn't given its due justice in that picture. Uh, you know, we had more people on this list. I think we should just leave it there. Yeah. I, I mean, look, guys, look, I'm if cool you weren't entertained that. by this episode and you have not hit subscribe yet, 
Well, then you're just not you're just not for us. Go listen to someone else. I don't know, man. This was fun. But let me tell you, this show is going to be a, a long, around a long time. Like Methuselah's back here, a really long time. Well, and we want to thank our patrons. Goodbye, I know, yeah, there's no way. So I want to I want to say thank you to our patrons. You're keeping the show around. Yeah. And and thank you so much. They're keeping it, not the quality of content. I know. Your really, yeah, look maybe you've got a sixth sense of humor, and that's the reason why you support us. But uh, we want to thank you so much. We want to thank all of our followers. Take a moment. Make sure you are, sus- are subscribed on all of our platforms, and we'll see you next week. Mm.